Hey, if you brought a copy of God's Word with you, if you would turn to Genesis 37. Genesis 37, let me tell you a little bit about what we're doing. Genesis 37, um, we're going to look at the life of Joseph together. And as we look at the life of Joseph, uh, we do that hopefully in a fresh perspective, hopefully in a, uh, with a unique approach to it. Uh, and here's why. Here's what I want to accomplish with us. Uh, you see here at, the, uh, at our altar, there's just a selection of many of the various ministries that we have. And, and maybe you're coming in and maybe kind of new here like me. And I ask the question, you know, what is the goal of having a bunch of ministries? I mean, is that, I mean, is there like points for that? Is there like cash incentive? I mean, why do we have ministries in any kind of way? Um, and, and my passion is that we would have ministries that reflect our heart, not as individuals, but hopefully as a, as a church, as a, a grouping together of people, as God's placed us here in this specific locality here in Ekru, that the ministries that we have are things that... Um, how can I say this? I don't know my congregation as well as I like to. Let, let me try it. I despise going to the dentist. He's constantly pulling or drilling. You know what I'm saying? There's constantly problems when I go to the dentist. Some of y'all have no idea. Uh, I found from conversations with my wife. People have no idea uh, what it's like to have a cavity or a root canal. Or in my case, a double root canal. Right? I do not enjoy going to the dentist. He'll say, well, won't you come and we're just going to give you a cleaning. No, I don't want that. You're going to find something. I don't trust that rascal. I think he's in it for his own good. You know what I'm saying? I think there's something happening there where he's like, hey, and there's like a Sharpie. And he puts a little mark on the little, you know, on the little x-ray and says, let's get the drill, right? Let's smell that smoke. I, why in all of technology, in everything we do, why can we not keep the drill from smelling like smoke when it's in my mouth? Do you know, ever wonder about that? It's strange for me. I despise going to the dentist. And it makes absolutely no sense to me that we would have any kind of ministry. If we were to look at that word, any kind of team, any kind of responsibility of our church that our church would see as a burden. That's illogical to me. It makes no sense whatsoever. So I hope that what we discover together is that we have something God has placed on our heart. And it's a, not, a, not, you know, not an ember. I mean, it's a burning fire inside of us where we say, man, I've got to do this. I've got to do this because this is who God made me. This is how God has equipped me. This is what God has called me to do. This is the fulfillment of the purpose that God has for my life. That's my passion for you, is that as you look at ministries, you look at your specific place within our church, that you don't see it as a trip to the dentist office. Man, I hope they don't call me. I hope nobody corners me when I get to church. Listen, if I ever corner you, let's get a code. You ready? A code where you'll say to me, so I'll know that I'm making you feel cornered. You say something like this, I feel like you're cornering me. <laughs> All right? That'll be just between me and you. A 
because I've been cornered before. I've been cornered before. I share my heart with you. I've been cornered before. And I said, don't you feel led? Well, if I did, it seemed like I'd probably be the first in line to know it. Right? And what I want to present to you in the next three weeks, today and the next two Sundays, is this. If you're not feeling called to something, I want you to be aware very clearly the Holy Spirit calls wherever He is. And if He's not calling you, my concern might be first and foremost for you is that you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You say, well, that seems like that's harsh. No, we need to take care of business together as a church, wouldn't you think? Holy Spirit calls us. Now, maybe you don't fit inside the puzzle that we're presenting. I want to encourage you, communicate that. Communicate that. Because what we want to see is this, is God has placed us together here right now. Me, you, we're different. We don't all have the same background. We don't all have the same experiences. We don't all have the same gift set. We don't even all like the same football team. And I'm praying through that last one. All right? But what we find here is this. I want God, by His Holy Spirit, to light a fire inside of me. To light a fire inside of me. To say, Casey, this is, this is what I put you on this earth to do. So what we're going to do, I'm going to lead you through the life of Joseph. It's Genesis 37 through 50. I'm going to preach through 14 chapters in three weeks, all right? I want to see that one, right? You might want to have to record that. So what we want to find is this, as we get then to the last week in August, uh, official notification. I think you, you guys need official notification, so let me give it to you. The last week in August, we're going to have our annual business conference and our nominating committee is going to present a report of how God's been working in your lives and how God's been working in our church. So we're going to tell you then all these ministry leaders that we have, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. On the 26th, I think is that the last Sunday in August? On the last Sunday in August, we're going to then ask you, and in fact, we're asking you to begin praying, if you're not doing so now, to start now. Because we want you to join with these people who have agreed to be ministry leaders and we want you to be on a ministry team. We want you to find a place of service within the church because this is how you grow spiritually. This is how we are connected and have passion for God's work. Genesis 37, that's where we're going to start. August, the end, last week in August, we're going to come together and we're going to ask you to commit to expressing publicly what is God doing in my life. Let me tell you why this is important to me real quick. You ready? Well, the reason this is important to me is because I don't fit easily anywhere. It's always been true in my life. I don't fit easily into just every old puzzle that you might see called life. I don't fit easily socially. And I found that ever since I was a child, ever since I was a teenager, then Chipolo High School, I graduated Chipolo High School in 1994. And in graduating Chipolo High School, here's what I know. Man, there were guys going out of that in my age, man, graduating with me. And I mean, hey, one of the guys is the mayor at Tupelo right now, man. I mean, that's, that's awesome, right? Uh, one, of the guys, one of the guys is my dentist. One of the guys, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that are very successful coming out of Tupelo High School. And as they came out, and they were listing off, I'm in, the, I'm in this club and this club and this club. And I'd say, I, I didn't really do any clubs. I never could find a club for somebody that wasn't interested in anything. So I didn't do a lot of clubs. I really couldn't find anything that I was really good at or interested in. I've got guys also that 
my age, and they're coming out of high school, and they're saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I played this sport and this sport and this sport, and I'm not against sports, not against clubs in any kind of way. I just, I was not good at any of those. I tried out for basketball. It was a five-day tryout, and the coach cut 45 of us on Monday. Right? So I didn't stand out of the 44 other guys that were cut. Let that roll around in your brain. So the idea here is this, is that I'm sitting there as I'm in high school, I'm searching because everything that's around me is saying, you don't fit here, and you don't fit here, and you don't fit here, and that's not for you, and you have no interest in that, you have no passion for that. And so socially, as I would begin to, y'all, and understand this about me, tell you just a little bit about my story, we're going to get to Genesis 37 in a second. A little bit about my story, I want you to know, my dad was a highway patrolman, all right? So in high school, before I learned how to drive, my dad, you're talking about social status escalating off the charts. My dad would always drive me to school in his patrol car. Okay? Right? You say, oh, that sounds cool. It's not for a teenage boy. All right? It's not. And what we find is this, is that socially for me, I would try to connect with different guys, and I didn't connect very well with athletes, and I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, connect very well with those that were into academia. I didn't connect very well with those who were, back in my day, we did skaters. You remember skaters? Those guys that were always carrying their skateboards to school. That's, I got hurt a lot trying to fit in with that group, but I didn't fit. I didn't fit. I didn't fit anywhere. I didn't fit anywhere. And here's the message, because I want you to know, when you start to hear that you don't fit anywhere, then you also have a company with that message that you're worthless. That's coming. If you've not gotten there, that's a risk for us, a danger for us. I got the message that because I wasn't invited to places that other people were invited, and I didn't participate where other people were participating, and I didn't run with a certain crowd in a certain kind of way, I didn't dress a certain kind of way, and as you can tell, some of the ways that I dress, it still just doesn't fit. And what we see here is this, I began to get the message that I was not valuable, that I was not important, that I didn't have anybody that really loved me. Say, so now, now your mom and your daddy love Yeah, thanks. That was true, I got that. But I was searching, and I think we're all searching for peer groups sometimes that identify for us that we're accepted. And so what I found in my life is this, very simply, I began to, as a teenager, struggle with this message that I just don't fit anywhere, that I never will, that as hard as I would try to conform and to be like someone else, and I would try to wear all black, and I wouldn't fit. I would try to buy a skateboard, and I wouldn't fit. I would try to play sports, and I wouldn't fit. I just, I don't fit very well. I'm a unique, abnormal kind of guy. And the thing that happened in my life, so you get the context of where I'm coming from, and you would understand my heart for you, is this. I had people that God brought into my life, many of them much older, much older, all right? I'm one of those guys, as a teenager, I was like a little old man in a lot of ways. And I'd have people that were much older that God brought into my life and they began to invest in me, and they began to care for me, and they began to disciple me, and they began to encourage me to read Scripture, encourage me to study Scripture, encourage me to ask questions about Scripture. 
And what I find is this, is that through my relationship with Jesus Christ, I realize this, that him living inside of me means I'm always accepted. I'm always accepted. And if you're a teenager here today and you say, well, I thought our pastor could be cool, but turns out he's not. He's not. He's not. But what I want you to embrace more than any other concept is this. If you can get to this point in your life where you realize that I was adopted into the family of God, that means that he chose me when no one else wanted me, that he came and he found me in an orphanage of sin, and he delivered me out of that. And I'm good because I'm in him. I am content and satisfied, and I've found my place in this world not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. I'm a member of the kingdom of God. And what we find in Genesis 37 is a similar story. Not that I'm like any biblical character, but what we want to see in the life of Joseph is a very real picture of God acting in every person's life. Now you've got to get this. So there's a big idea theologically for us of this. Big idea theologically is that our God is big enough to care about you individually while simultaneously caring about every person on the face of this planet who has ever lived or ever will. You get that? It's not that God has a plan for a couple of y'all, a couple of y'all that are really special. No, 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 no. God is big enough to care about every person, every individual on the face of this planet. And as he's big enough to do that, I'm included in that. And so is, and I want to show you here, so is Joseph. I hope that you got, and this is, this is not sermon notes that you have to fill in the blank, but it's a little book and it says, join the team. I hope that you found one of those. If you didn't find one of those, you can find one of those Anytime at our first impressions tables that are at this door or at this door, if you didn't get one today, you can get one on your way out. You need to bring it back next Sunday and the next. It's something that you can do completely all by yourself, and it's designed for an intentional purpose. So here's what I'd like to do. If you would open this up to page three with me, so you've got now, you're showing how talented you already are and that you have your Bible open to Genesis 37, and you also have your, uh, your team book, open up to page three, here's what I want to show you that I've understood, that I've come to understand from Scripture. The Scripture would tell us this, is that we always hear that God has a plan for you, right? And so as I was a teenager and I was going through this social rejection, through this, through this cultural rejection that, that I was suffering through, just trying to see Hey, where do I fit? Where do I fit? Nobody wants to be around me. No one wants to be my friend. Some people because of who my father is. Some people because of who I am. And so what we find is this. As I'm going through that, then I also hear people within the Christian circle saying, God's got a purpose for you. And it actually angers me. Because all I heard was, God's got a purpose for you. God's got a purpose for you. God's got a purpose for you. But as I'm living out my life, I'm not finding what it is. So I literally got to the point where when someone would say that to me as a teenager, and I love to say that it was respectful, but sometimes not as respectful as it should have been. When someone would say to me, especially at church, hey, God's got a plan for you, I'd say, really, what is it? I thought that was fair. I thought that was fair. 
And let me tell you, very few people could answer that question. So I begin to search and say, if God's got a plan for me, I want to see exactly what it is. I want to see exactly where I fit in his whole scheme of having a purpose for me. So here's what I found, a couple of things. First, I know that God has said this, and since God, when he speaks, it's always true, then I know when God has said something, I can trust it, right? So I know that in Genesis, especially Genesis 1 and 2, I see that God speaks and he creates. And he creates everything by speaking. But in speaking, he also gets to this point where he wants something uniquely designed, something that would represent him, that would carry the Latin phrases in Mago Dei, it's the image of him. And so God takes his hands after he has spoken. Now, how does God, what's, his, what, what's required for God to create? What we find in Genesis 1 all he's got to do is speak. All he's got to do is speak. So as he speaks, get this, he speaks and the reflection of everything that he does, he says, this is good. Just him speaking is good. So then God chooses to take his hands, which is, a, I think, an action beyond speaking, right? And he gets dirt and he begins to shape and mold the image of man. Now, I say that so that you would maybe be refreshed in this thought and be, instead of lulled to sleep, but be invigorated by the gospel. God could create something reflecting Him by just speaking, but He took, it seems like, an intentional, deliberate effort to make you and to make me. So we understand, I get this, Part of God's plan for me is that he created me, all right? So if I have any question about where I came from, any kind of was there a big bang or anything like that, I think the big bang was Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity that existed before any of creation, he spoke. And as he spoke, he said, now I'm going to do something special, intentional, and he formed mankind. That's us. So as we're created, then the next logical question for me becomes this. If I'm created by God, why? I mean, why? And as a teenager, I wrestled with this. I searched for this. I want to know why if I have, uh, you know, we, we got this, this language that's used of God's got a plan for you. Why? I mean, you can't tell me what it is. Why don't you tell me why God has a plan for me? Well, well, because is what I got. So as I get into Scripture, here's what I begin to find, is that when God created, there is a why behind it. There is a purpose behind why God creates, not just, hey, not just special people, whatever that might mean. But there's a purpose behind God creating Every individual, every individual that's created was created because God is intentional in that. He has something for you, and it is to be a worshiper, to know Him personally. Now get it. What that means is this. If, if Scripture tells us that God created me and created me for His purposes, then if I'm living for my purposes, then I'm not fulfilling what God created me to be and to do. And so I, I lay this out here for you, I hope gently. According to what I would understand, 
my ultimate purpose in life is not simply to make money. My ultimate purpose in life is not simply, my goal that God has given me is not to have a job. But God has something that's divinely orchestrated specifically that he's assigned for me. So that's not enough. So we go second. So I begin to ask these questions. Question number one is a big question. Who am I? Who am I? And what I find is that I'm asking this question and I'm looking through a biblical lens. I do find that there's a temptation. There's a temptation that we would define this question, that we would answer this question by asking people who don't know God. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous when we're trying to figure out what God's plan is for us if we're only asking people who don't know who God is. I mean, that's kind of illogical even, isn't it? So I begin to ask this question, okay, now, now who am I? I understand that I'm created by God and I'm created for His purposes. So now my logical question becomes, who is it that God has made me? In other words, is there anything in me that's valuable or good? I need to know, I need to pull out, I need to identify how God has said, yes, that I'm valuable, but exactly how am I valuable? So I begin to search for that, which leads me then to this second question. What then is his plan for my life? I know who I am as God has defined me. And I know that he created me for a purpose. So once I've got those questions and I've kind of wrestled with those and kind of seen God develop and reveal those to me, now I'm ready to come back to this question. His plan for me is for me to be who I am, used by him, where he's placed me. Let me say it one more time. As I go through this progression of thinking, my life begins to realize my spirit is drawn to this awareness that where God has placed me, I'm supposed to be who I am. Living for him where he's placed me. Say, so, Well, this is not logical in any kind of way. This doesn't make any sense. Let's do this. You can't be someone you're not someplace that you're not. Can you say amen to that one? Stop trying. If you're pursuing to be someone that you're not, you're trying to convince others that you're something that God didn't create you to be, listen, stop trying. That has to be miserable. If you're trying to constantly live in a place that you're not in residence of, you're not doing a very good job because you ain't there. So what that means for me is this. Where God places me, He knows who He put here. And he knows why he put me here. So I'm going to be me and live for him where he's placed me. Can you imagine this as we look in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount? What happens, Christian, if you just go out and the plan that God has for your life is that the job that he's provided for you, the family that he's blessed you with, the place where you work, the places that you go, if wherever you are, you just be who God created you to be there. And find contentment in knowing that's what God's plan for your life is now. Let's look. Here's what happens. If you're with me in Genesis 37, I want to do a, a walkthrough overview. And I'm going to do this in two simple points. Okay, Two simple points. Here's what we find in the life of Joseph. When you begin in Genesis 37, 
we see that this is all building up to jealousy among Joseph's brothers. Joseph has several brothers, and as he has these brothers, then most of them are older than him, and they are, Genesis 37, they're working out in the field. They are tending, ironically, it seems like they are tending to sheep. And so Joseph is sent to find his brothers. As he's sent to find his brothers, now a little context for you, of course, in Genesis 37, Joseph has had dreams. You ever have a dream and you're like, man, I really, I really did right in that dream. I really controlled what I was, how I was acting and what was happening around me in that dream. Dreams don't really happen that way, do they? So Joseph has, if you will, there are dreams that have been placed inside of Joseph. And Joseph, I think innocently, it kind of comes off as arrogantly as you read the text. But I think innocently, Joseph is coming out and he's saying, hey, let me tell y'all, I'm, and I'm going to paraphrase this, I'm going to rule over all my brothers and sisters one day. I'm going to dominate you guys. Y'all are going to bow down and worship me. It's kind of what the dream reveals. So as Joseph is then going out one day to check on his brothers, he's fulfilling what his dad has asked him to do. His brothers see him coming at a distance, and maybe you'll remember the story. If not, come back this week. Read, I encourage you, Genesis 37. And what, what they decide is this. His brothers say, hey, let's kill our brother. How many of y'all have ever been there? No, don't raise your hand. All right? The concept is this. They say, hey, let's get rid of this guy. And can I submit this to you? As you study, I think it's Genesis 39, it's going to say repeatedly, somewhere around eight times, they hated him, 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 they hated him. If you can't interpret Scripture, let me help you out with that. They didn't care much for him, right? His brothers hated him, and so they devised this plan that they're going to get rid of him. There is some level of conscience there among his brothers because one of his brothers says, um, hey, listen, this whole thing of killing a brother, I'm afraid that's going to give me bad dreams. And so they come up with this plan. They take his favorite gift, his coat of many colors, they rip it up, they put uh, blood on it, and then they go back to their father with a story that he was mauled by an animal. Now the Ishmaelites come through. And what we find is that as the Ishmaelites are coming through, that the brothers decide that they'll sell, that gets rid of the body, so they're going to sell their brother into slavery. And I want to submit a thought here for you. Sometimes we get caught up in our daily activity, and I want you to see this picture. I think the brothers are just caught up in their daily activity, and we forget that God is in control. So his brothers sell him into slavery, and that puts uh, Joseph with the Ishmaelites, and Joseph now is on this track, and he is going over. His father thinks that he's dead, so he is heading on his way to Egypt. And as he's going to Egypt, he finds himself bought, purchased as a slave, placed in Potiphar's house. It seems to me, if we understand Scripture, that Joseph seems to be a pretty attractive guy. Or Potiphar's wife is drawn to ugly. We're not sure which one, all right? But it seems like that there's something attractive about Joseph. It says that Potiphar's wife, and Potiphar now is the owner of Joseph. He's the owner of a house. He's the owner of land. He's a powerful guy. So Potiphar is out doing business. He's out, if you will, at work on a regular basis. 
And every time that Potiphar is away from the house, Potiphar's wife decides to try to seduce Joseph. As you remember the story from Genesis, what we'll find is that she, in fact, goes in, calls the servant, Joseph, into the bedroom chamber. And as Joseph comes into the bedroom chamber, she attempts to seduce him. She attempts to sexually have her way with him. And the scripture tells us that, again, with the coat, that's interesting, but that he runs away so fast, she grabs onto his clothes, and he runs out of his coat, runs out of his garment. So when Potiphar returns, this wife who has other servants, has other people around, she now is going to cover her tracks. And so what she does is make up a lie about Joseph. Can you control when people lie about you? Joseph couldn't. It was something that was happening. We would say, just part of Potiphar's wife's daily affairs, but we see the biblical picture of God being in control even when someone's lying about him. Even when someone is lying about him, God's still on his throne. God is still orchestrating his plan for Joseph's life. So we get to this point in Scripture where we started out, he was not doing anything wrong, sold into slavery by his brothers. He ends up here in Potiphar's house. Now Potiphar's wife is lying about him. So if you're at Genesis 39, see, we just covered two chapters, great. So Genesis 39 through 41, it tells about Joseph and Potiphar's wife and how she's consistently, he's living amongst temptation, she's trying to seduce him. She then lies to Potiphar, and Potiphar then makes this decision because Potiphar, like any person in authority, believes they are in control. And so Potiphar says, I'm sending you to prison. So Potiphar sentences Joseph to go to prison, and he is now, therefore, lived in prison. And I want you to see, so there's Genesis 37, 38, 39, 40, and 41 is what all this covers that I just said to you. Joseph is in prison, Genesis 41. Genesis 40 and 41, as he's in prison, there are men around him who begin to have dreams. And we're going to talk about how Joseph, next week, we'll talk about how Joseph responds, or if you will, is given the ability to respond while the people around him are having dreams. But I want you to see this phrase. There's a phrase that runs throughout Genesis 37 through 41, and if you read through it, maybe this, this week in your devotion time, come back and read through it, and you're going to see this. I encourage you to highlight everything you find it. Here it is. The Lord was with Joseph. Can I ask you a quick question before we proceed? How would you define success? Because as we look at Joseph, I mean, here's a 17-year-old guy that's going out, he's doing what his dad says, it gets him thrown into a pit, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery. How would you define success? Because as Joseph then is doing what he does in Potiphar's house, he's trying to be faithful. He's promoted up to a high ranking within Potiphar's house. You should see that. But as he's promoted up to a high ranking, then he's falsely accused, and he is then sentenced unjustly, and he's in prison. How would you define success? As he's in prison, 
he then is a responsible steward with the things that God has given him. You'll see this, that he is being who he is, where he is, so that God would be honored. And it says repeatedly that the Lord was with him. How would you define success? Would you say that Joseph is a successful dude? That whole being in prison kind of, in our culture, seems to indicate that he's not successful, right? Can I encourage you that a biblical definition of success would say this, where I am is where God's placed me. And I'm going to serve God where God has placed me for his glory and for his honor. This is, by example, Jesus' definition of success. At the appropriate time, at the appointed time, God sent forth his son so that he might become sin and bear the sin of the entire world. Don't be deceived. With our ministry teams, we are not pursuing a quota. We're not trying to get to a certain number of teams so that we can go to other churches or whoever we might deem important and say, look how successful we are. We've got a bunch of people who are miserable doing things that they shouldn't be doing, but we got more than you. That's not where we're heading, I hope. That's not what we're going for. But instead, we see this. What about this picture? If what if, wherever we are, we surrender to this fact that God has created us to be who we are and to serve him as we are where we are? Would God count that as obedience? Well, I'm not very. And I can fill in that blank with several words for me personally. But here's what I am very. I'm very eager, anxious. To be who I am, where God has placed me so that he would get glory through my life. That's about all I've got. And that's enough. So we come then with a picture of Joseph. Let me point out, if you're in your, uh, your, your team book, we've covered here page three. Flip over with me and let me just touch briefly on page five. Because this blew my mind as I began to think about this. We think about design and the D, the acrostic for design, starts with D. And D means your development or your personality. And the two go hand in hand. So let me say this clearly. As a teenager, I began to realize that God had created me with a unique personality. And I would be able to say, hey, I'm different than anybody else. All right? And so in the spirit of encouraging the church to embrace your uniqueness, that God has created you and gifted you the way that you are with a unique personality, right now I want you to turn to somebody that you love and I want you to say, you're kind of different. Come on. All right. Sometimes you need someone sitting on the other side and your spouse is on one side because I ask you to do stuff that can get you in trouble. But you want to say you're kind of different. Here's why. We all have different personalities. It's actually more fun that way. The reason that we do Texas Day Brazil trip is because of the meat. Two, though, is this, is that we want to be around men as men. And men, you need to be around Christian men 
who express themselves differently than you express yourself, that act and think differently than what you act. You need this kind of engagement in your life. And if you are like me, you say, well, I might need it, but I don't want it, right? I still need dentists sometimes. I got to go because it's good for me. You with me? So the concept becomes this. I want to show you just a couple of things. As we think about development personality, we see our uniqueness that God has made us a certain way, and maybe He is working through who we are, our personalities that we have, to first shape and reform us into the image of Jesus Christ, but also these things that He's put inside of us, He's going to use them. Let me show you a couple of verses that maybe you've not seen normally. Turn back with me, Genesis 37. And I want to show you, as we look at what we call the DISC profile, that means that every personality is either dominant, influencing, steady, conscientious, or perhaps you're a combination of all four. Those are really exciting people to be around. So you are a person of personality. You have some kind of way that you engage other people, some kind of way that you respond to other people. Look with me at this. I've never seen this before. We started studying for this, this sermon. Here we are. Genesis 37 and verse 2. Genesis 37 verse 2, it says, These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. And I'm going to talk with you next week about this. Pasturing that flock seems like a sorry, stinky job. You're around sheep, and sheep stink, and they're ignorant. And so there, Joseph, in his daily occupation, was preliminary, here's a little teaser, being trained by God to manage people who were stubborn. We'll see that later. But it goes on. He says, he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, to their father. And I've never seen this before, but I began to ask this question. Why would Joseph bring a bad report against his brothers to his father, especially if he's not the strongest and oldest one? Sounds like a beatdown's coming. And I would submit to you this idea. There was something inside of Joseph where he had to identify right from wrong. He had to call out, if you will, right from wrong. There was a conscientious nature about him where when he saw something that was wrong, he had to address it, all right? Praise the Lord. Thank you, guys. It helps me out. Praise team is going to pick up on this, all right? Because, and I'll tell you how I kind of relate to this. If these two doors are open, I'm distracted the entire time I'm preaching. And you say, well, I never noticed that before. That's how I am. I'm built that way. And you say, well, that's just a silly thing you need to get over. You just need to close the door. <laughs> but there's little things for some of us. We have a personality and you say, well, God made me this way. Let me show you another example here. If I got one, turn over to chapter 40 real quick. Chapter 40. I'm aware of our time. I know you are too. Chapter 40, verse 6. Verse 6. So being conscientious means that there, there, there's right and wrong and he has to call out. When something's wrong, he has to do something about it. When something's out of place, something's out of sorts. So if we look in Genesis chapter 40, look in verse 6. He's in prison here, get the context. So when he's in prison, then we've got the cupbearer, and we've also got this baker. And look what it says in verse 6. It says, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that the cupbearer, that's the day, and the baker, that's the day, they were troubled. Who cares? Some of you would say, 
Who cares? Here's a cupbearer. Here's a baker. They're in prison. Of course they're troubled. But there's something about Joseph when there's something wrong around him. He's very conscientious. He's very aware of it. And he says, hey, we need to address this. We need to do something about this. Some people, if you notice, are built where we say, y'all are trouble, this stuff. And you just move on. So there's something unique about Joseph, and I would see this, this is, this is my interpretation, that he is very conscientious in it. I also see this, we see that, that word dominant. So check this out with me. Chapter 39, look back over verse 4. It says, So Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. So what we see here is this, is that the slave Joseph is thrown into Potiphar's house as a slave, and then he wins favor with Potiphar. How? How? How does he win favor with Potiphar? He's a guy that apparently has proven himself to be trusted with more and more responsibility. Maybe you're in a job, and let me just submit this to you because we want it to be practical for you. Maybe you say, well, I'm in a dead-end job. Do well in that dead-end job. Because you will not do well at a job with more responsibility if you're bad with responsibility at a dead-end job. Be faithful in the job that you're in because that's the job God provided for you. So we see that he's promoted here. Then look down with me, verse still, chapter 39, verse 22. He's now in prison, and it says, 39, 22, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And we don't want to get into cultural things too much, but let me say, this is an Israelite in Egypt. And the Egyptians, who don't normally just grant the Israelites favor, they're finding in Joseph something where he can be trusted with more and more responsibility. So this is by definition, I would think, this is a guy who's dominant in his personality. He says, hey guys, let's get this done. Come on. It's prison, I understand, but we've got to have things in order in prison. We've got to put things in, in the right order in prison. Come on, let's move from here. You move over there, and he is leading the people that way. How does he have the ability to do that? God has given him the personality that he has. Don't ever discount yourself to say that there's something wrong with you because you don't fit in the way that the world has dictated and determined that you should fit. Let me submit to you that if the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, you were created by God, you were created by God for an intentional purpose, you are the person that you are because God made you the person that you are. Don't ever let somebody take that away from you. Don't ever let somebody rob you of this joy of knowing, here's what's good about me. It's Jesus Christ revealing God's perfect plan in my life. He made me the way that He made me. He's transformed me into the image of Jesus Christ and still working on that. But who I am in my personality, I want Him to use it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for diversity in our church. As we have diversity, we also have unity. And so, Lord, today I feel like uh, there's someone perhaps among us that's been fed the lie 
that they are not important, that they are not valuable, that they don't fit, that they don't belong, that they don't have enough friends, or God forbid, they don't have enough friends on social media to be counted as good. God, I pray that we this morning would counter the lies of Satan with the truth of your word. And we would say that you have shaped and formed us in the womb. You have set us apart for your purposes. You have a specific calling in our lives as Christians. Lord, I thank you that you are working in our lives to shape and form us into the image of Jesus. I thank you, God, that you use imperfect people if they're willing to be used. And God, it's my prayer that you would stir a willingness to be used within Friendship Baptist. And let it spread not like a dying ember, but it would spread like a raging fire among us. That we would long to be used by you, not as different people, but as the people that you've made us. And we pray these things in your holy name. As we respond this morning, would you sing with the praise team? Would you listen as the Holy Spirit leads you to hear the truth of God's word and know that you are valuable and you are useful in God's kingdom? Would you worship with us? Stand to your feet.